Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Oh, Elizabeth Dutton, so damn good to see you. Zarin Burnett, what are you doing here? Oh, I was just looking for plaid socks. Um... Did you, uh, I had a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Did you know what's ridiculous? I do. Uh, I do. Stop talking. Uh I do. What is that? There's a guy. Now, first of all, I'm going to go a little bit, I'm going to change things up a little bit. How so? This is not a mashup. Uh Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Okay, no, I'm I'm, I'm buckled up. New year, new me. Yeah. (laughs) New year, new me. So (laughs) I like this energy. This dude in Florida he was, like, perusing Facebook. Uh-huh. Ridiculous, the end. No, and um, he's looking in the this, like, Rockdale County Sheriff's Office has okay. a Facebook page. Uh-huh. And he's poking around, and they listed their most wanted list for November 2022. Okay. And he was bummed because he wasn't on it. Oh, most wanted people. Yeah. Like that not m- just, like, gifts they were asking for? No. There wasn't their, like, Amazon wish list? <laughs> They're like, we need croquis. And no, they um, they had like their most wanted list uh-huh, of people, of yeah, people the most wanted criminals. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, I'm a criminal. I live in this county. Yeah. I have broken the law. What's up? I'm top 10 quality right here. Come on so, now. Don't give me this. Oh, you're number 12. Instead of just like turning to, you know, the people in his home mm-hmm. and saying, guys, this <laughs> I need is validation. Little, or, you know, sitting, you know, turning to the people at the bar. Uh-huh. I'm so sad. Uh, no, instead, he posted on their on their wall mm-hmm. and said, how about me? Quote, how about me? And he wasn't being, like, tongue-in-cheek about no, it. No, he was like, hey, man, I'm a criminal. Like, and so then they responded, and they said, quote, you are correct. You have two warrants. We're on the way. And they went and arrested him. <laughs> He's like, now I feel better. Yeah, so his social media addiction uh-huh. led to him blowing his cover. They also, then they posted, we appreciate you for your assistance in your capture. <laughs> So, yeah. And then their their statement on it was, our top 10 is compiled based off uh, the severity of the charges only. By not being on this list does not mean our fugitive unit is not looking for you if you have an active warrant. 
Why do they clarify that? They don't need to say that. Like, I know, right? So anyway. It's like the dummy clause. What about me? What, what about what, me? All right. What about you? He's the ultimate, <laughs> like, that's a pick me, but the guy version. <laughs> he wanted to feel special. He wanted mm. his name in lights. Now, that's ridiculous. I'll, I'll hand you that yeah, one. Yeah, it is. You don't Good have to tell to me. The year. It is ridiculous. Well, if you got a second. Yes. I got a story for you. Of course. Okay. Did you know there was once two Fleetwood Macs at the same time? <laughs> And neither one included Stevie Nicks or Lindsey Buckingham. Just still as chaotic, though. That's like if you get hit in the head and you see two Fleetwood Macs at the same time. Exactly, and they're coming at you. Ay, ay, ay. Tusk. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth? Zavin. I've got a hell of a story for you. I hope so. And this story, by the way... I mean, I, I, I came all the way down here. I got dressed. Yeah. Showed I, up at work. I noticed you're, you're wearing uh, your best robe. It's and really my nice. swim flippers. Yeah, this is a good Just, look. On, let's do this. So, um... This story, uh, by the way, it came to us, or came to me, rather, from a, a tip from a friend of producer Dave's. No way. Yeah. Do uh, Andy Shea, or Andy. Uh, so thank you, Andy. We appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. Now, this story is, well, let me just set the table, if you don't mind. Please. Now, you know I love the 70s. Uh, yes. And right? I do, too. Yeah. It, it, we share a love for the 70s. We do. And, like, when I read about these news stories and I go doing investigations and do some research, the, everything is wilder than I expect. Yeah. Like, absolutely, it just is like, oh, uh, it starts with a headline and then it just spirals into madness, right? And then, like, the, it's the whole decade. It doesn't matter which year you pick. It's not like, oh, 72 is a wild. No, no, the whole decade. Everything. Right? I mean, like, and also... It was interesting. It's like, you know, like I watch a lot of uh, Barney Miller, for instance, and yeah. I use that as a metric for the 70s because of the different crimes that show up and how right. people are and how they react to people and the expectations. And it's interesting to me is how drunk everybody was. Just oh, sure. Lightly toasted. And it was a joke like this person's been drunk at work for 20 years and everybody <laughs> knows it. Right. And it's just like. Imagine like what that's like if for a whole like all the adults are just lightly buzzing just on pills, buzz, yeah. alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, it, it led to a lot of bad decisions. Yeah, ultimately. But this is not about bad seventies decisions. This is about the seventies driving people batty in a sense. Okay, right? Does that make Does it make sense? Yeah. What I mean by batty is like. You know, bats in the belfry, like, you're like, why would, you, why would you do that? Like, this just makes no sense. Yeah. Anyway, now I'm going to have a, I'm going to have to actually set this, as I told you, set the table. And then as I, you know, get into the 70s, we'll go first start with a little appetizer, an amuse-bouche, as okay. you and the French would say, right? Do you know about supergroups? 70s yes. supergroups? Sure. Yeah, like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? Uh-huh. Okay, well... The 70s is when this kicks off. In fact, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young is considered basically the first super group. Yeah, and then, I love them, by really? the way. Yeah, like, huge fan. Like, what, you, you, songs you like or albums? Like, you just like, grew I like up it listening all. to them? I like it all. Well, I love Neil Young. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I love, and I and I love Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So it all kind of works together. <laughs> works and then you put really the peanut well butter in the chocolate, and you're like, Shazam, there it is. Well, that's a very common. They found that that marketing works for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I like this one. I like that one. You start putting them together. Yeah. Super group. Yeah. Well, like traveling Willberries. That was that was gonna be a one example I had an throughout. Amazing to you. one. Yeah. Uh, 
um, Belbiv DeVoe. Now you know. All right. Now, um, okay, another one for you. Uh, Temple of the Dog or Audio <gasps> Slave, some of the same Temple, members. That Temple of the Dog album is good. Yeah, right? Like, so. I will I will stand <laughs> firm in that. That is a good album. You know, it's another uh, basically a super group, Led Zeppelin. They were all yeah. in different groups. Yardbirds. I don't right. know British bands like this well, but there was apparently a band of Joy was a band that John Bonham and Robert Plant were in together. Uh-huh. Whatever. So my favorite example, though, of a supergroup is the Highwaymen. Yes. Johnny Cash. Oh, my Willie God. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson. That's it's just, amazing. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, I want to tell you the story of another supergroup, Elizabeth. It's okay. called the Masked Marauders. You ever hear of the Masked Marauders? <laughs> no. Well... Um, we'll pull from the pages of an underground newspaper and culture outlet, The Seed, for a music review dating back to 1969 so I can really, uh, let you into the world of the Masked Marauders. You ready? I'm so ready. Quote, the newest escalation in the never-ending rock hype is an album called The Masked Marauders. Now, you'll notice a tone. So yeah. They're coming in hot. Now, that was in response to Rolling Stones magazine's pure purple prose about the supergroup. They had already written a review, and in the Rolling Stones review, they wrote, quote, it can truly be said that this album is more than a way of life. It is life. Oh, <laughs> so heavens. You, yeah. <laughs> you can hear the hype, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, why, you may be asking, Saren, why such effusive over-the-top praise for this group no one had ever yet heard of? Uh, is it is it a nepotism thing? Well, it's because of the lineup. The lineup reportedly was John Lennon of the Beatles, Mick oh. Jagger of the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, also of the Beatles, and Bob Dylan of Bob Dylan. Why have I never <laughs> heard of this? That's the whole point. So it's supposed to be like a secret underground recording that they did, a bootleg record, off-brand, off-label. They got together, recorded it, and a recording existed. Now, tell me again who's in this. So John Lennon, uh-huh. Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, Bob Dylan. That many egos in one room, yeah, and it doesn't I, <laughs> co- create a supernova, and just like the gravity just sucks, sucks in. It up. Oh, the God. doors come flying in. Yeah, well, the uh, Rolling Stone called this bootleg record the album of the year, or the record of the year. I yeah, don't yeah. know the distinction. Sure, but the album drops in 1969. Okay. All right. So Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young has already happened. People are like, oh, my God, imagine what another supergroup. And then, boom, they get this as a supergroup. Uh-huh. And people are going nuts. So they're going to their local record stores. They're like, when can I get the Mass Marauders album? They're like, what do you mean? They're like, you saw the Rolling Stone review? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. They're like, when are you going to get it? We'll let you know, man. And then the next day, hey, man, I need the Mass Marauders, bro. We'll tell you <laughs> when it shows up. They're, they're, like, they're getting, like, hassled about it. You know who's also getting hassled about it? Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is like, um, you know, they they keep hearing about this group that apparently has members that they have signed. They're like, wait a minute, we should be knowing about this. What's going on? And so then they do a bidding war to buy this bootleg album. So it was a bootleg. It didn't. It was not. It was not done. It wasn't on, released. Yeah, it wasn't on, on on studio dollars. So okay. like, you know, normally a recording will be like, "Hey, we'll give you the money to record your album." Sure, yeah, no, I and Then know. we own the masters and all that. But so I'm just it thinking wasn't like done that way. They, the masters suddenly are created okay. as this bootleg recording. Got it. Because I was just wondering, like in the reviews, they usually tell you who the music publisher like who's yeah, the, exactly uh, so they just reviewed this bootleg album and they out and the right. demand grows and they have to make it a legit so album. it was like a cassette tape it was like the the gray album from like where, where danger mouse uh-huh. went out and he takes the jay-z and the the beatles mashes up makes this album so he couldn't release that one he legally was not allowed right. to but imagine if he could because warner brothers says hey we'll release okay, it okay gotcha that's essentially what happened yeah. right now, November 1969, after Warner Brothers wins the bidding war amongst all the other labels, this album comes out. 
out. It gets released legitimately. And it has this really modest cover because it's like, oh, there's, as you said, these big egos, who gives you, how are you going to list them? Right, who are you going to get right. the big picture? So they have nothing. There's no, there's no names on the album. It's just this bland cover but everybody knows like oh it's like this wink of like oh that's pretty cool that they all hid themselves right so there's this power of hype and mystery all coming together the mask marauder album sells a hundred thousand copies wow right makes it onto the billboard charts in the liner notes there is though a kind of like winking nod like hey let's let people in on it and they are like and i quote leading experts now estimate the music business is currently 90 percent hype and 10 percent the mass marauders, bless their hearts, have gone far beyond that. So, oh. Yeah, they're basically just telling people it's all I mean, it's this all bullshit. All, this so, isn't real. So it's all right. Uh, they'd crossed basically the Rubicon at this point, and the Rolling Stone reviews, right? They had been faked. They were not a real review. There was no initial album. The Rolling Stone, they'd put out this like review of an album that never existed to make fun of the fact that people are so into the hype. And then the hype becomes something, and then they end up making an album, and the album actually comes out. So So, sort of this prank review that they... Mick Jagger, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, they were never in a studio together. I could not imagine it. Your read was spot on. Thank you. Yeah, you know this. And so the album, this joke, this travesty, this Travis Yam mockery, it becomes legally a questionable because once the Warner Brothers finds out it's not actually who they paid for, right. now we're talking fraud, right? Right. So how did they get this band hoax past Warner Brothers? And how do they get past all the music lovers? Everyone's supposed to be, these are supposed to be the coolest people who know about this are album. Are they like impersonators on the record? What's that? Are they impersonators on the actual record that people bought? Okay, well, I'll explain. Oh, good, okay, good, yeah, okay. Good. I like you get right to the heart of I it. Do. See, this is you, I like do. your music mind. Well, okay, it starts with Rolling Stones. As I told you, the Rolling Stone writers, they did a fake review. And Grail Marcus remembered. Okay, right. And I quote, it was late, I was tired, and I've been sitting around talking with my friend about how stupid all the then so-called super session albums were. <laughs> so Grail, he wants to make fun of these cash grab super groups, right? So he's like, how, how do we do that? He's like, well, basically, uh, let's see, I'll just come up with one. So he invents the mass marauders. And so he gets the, you know, he takes from Terry Southern, uh, a Terry Southern novel called The Magic Christian. That becomes his pen name. So he writes the review as T.M. Christian, right? And then, uh-huh. so that's like his first little wink and then grail marcus goes and he writes up his review and he shows it to jan wenner it's like late at night and he's like hey man look what i did and he's like jan wenner's like oh man this is hilarious so the publisher of rolling stone's like we got to do more of these he's like how many can you get before we do our next uh, edition he's like i don't know so they they start writing up more grail writes a ton of fake reviews right now on october 18th 1969 issue of rolling stone comes out they run the first review of the bootleg album from the mass marauders and grail recalls later and i quote again it was just an attempt to say this is stupid and let's make it even stupider <laughs> so it's like let's hit the gas on it right now for those who may be a little suspicious and in, in on the joke there were plenty of winks and nods as i told you earlier yeah. right but in the other liner notes there's things like they talk about how the album was recorded in a small town near the site of the original hudson bay colony in canada so it's all precious so it's trying to be like uh big pink like exactly band. yeah there you go nice so they also they have other oddities in there because apparently Paul McCartney sings a uh, Mammy, the Al Jolson song. So that's oh. supposed to be on there. How did anyone think this was real? <laughs> Mick oh Jagger sings a song I can't get no nookie. Oh <laughs> so yeah. Now obviously you're you're on none of this is true and uh but they now still have to make this album. So right. there is somebody singing as Paul McCartney singing Mammy. There is somebody singing as as Mick Jagger singing I can't get no nookie. So how do you do this? Well <laughs> 
If you don't give a, you know, you already said, look, we don't care about propriety, right? So Grail yeah. Marcus and the Rolling Stones guys are like, look, you know, we're already way ahead of y'all. So they just run with it. They're like, look, we got to get this album out. So they hire some friends from a Berkeley area band and the band is Cleanliness and Godliness Skiffle Band. And they're like, look, we need oh, an album. Dear. So they hire their <laughs> friends and they record a bunch of sessions and they again give those master tapes to Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers puts it out and that's then not knowing at the time, right? So then that underground newspaper that I told you about before, The Seed, uh-huh. they wrote the real review of the fake album that pretty much unmasked the Mask Marauders, okay. right? So they note that this is, was done by members of the band Cleanliness and Godliness, Skiffle Band. Like, they even named the, like, small Berkeley band. They, right. They do a good, and they're like, who did, and I quote, a fair imitations of Dylan and Jagger. So they want to be, like, the music lover's music lover. Yeah. Now, this grand hoax finally gets revealed. And so now we are wondering, are there going to be charges of fraud filed against these writers, Warner Brothers is like, you know what? Look, we're not in the business of selling truth. We're in the business of selling records. We sold records. There Works for us. <laughs> as long as they don't lose money, they're yeah. happy. No charges filed. And if you were curious about any of this, you can go on eBay. And I found... The I can't get no nookie single. I couldn't find Mammy, but I could. I did find I can't get the no whole, nookie. So they released them as singles too, not yeah. just as well, a exactly forty fives, like forty five records. You can get a forty five record thread on there. Wow! Drop the needle and hear it yourself. Amazing. Now to bring things full circle, as you okay. pointed out, there were the traveling Wilburys, which means a Beatle then did create a supergroup with Bob Dylan. So that's true. George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Don Waz, and Tom Petty—they mm-hmm. all get together. Boom! So there you get your and don't aging forget. Roy Orbison. And, of course, Roy Orbison. Orb Robison. <laughs> so, there it is. That's amazing. That's our amuse-bouche. Now, that, ready that got me all ready. main course? Yes. Well, let's take a little break. I'm going to refresh myself, and then uh, we'll get deep into it. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Elizabeth, I've promised you the entree of today. Yes, I'm so excited for this. Tuck in your napkin, girl. It's about to get sloppy. It's on. Okay, now, did you know that Fleetwood Mac, which is the star of our show, Mm -hmm. is not named after Mick Fleetwood? It's not? It's not named after Christine McVie either. I thought that's what it was like, Fleetwood Mac. Like I've always lived under the assumption that like I, I mean I don't think anyone. about it often no, or at but... all. But like if you were to <laughs> ask me, Fleet, wait, so did they call themselves Fleetwood Mac? And they're like, we really need someone named Fleetwood up in here. No, and also Mick Fleetwood didn't change his name to Match, which is another possibility oh, I thought about yeah. later on. I was yeah. like, oh. no, I, I just assumed they'd been in England. They're like, yeah, we're Fleetwood Mac. Sure, we're that, Christine yeah. and me, like Van Halen. Yeah, they come to America, get famous. They're like, hey, Lindsay. Stevie, join us, and then mm-hmm. boom, blow up. I didn't ever, but that's not their story. Like, apparently, it's from a song written by somebody else who later joined the band, and they're like, "Yeah, it's Fleetwood Mac." So and that was l- lyrics in a song. It was the name of a song. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain it to you oh, later. It, it comes okay. in. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So, I am embracing myself yeah. for this one. Well, Fleetwood Mac, as you know, is hard to define, capture, wrap your arms around. It's just a, a ball of mess and energy and, yes. and desire. Chaos. Exactly. It's like a little chaos engine, right? But also, its sound is legendary hard to capture. It starts as a blues band, then it changes. I mean, it, it, it's mo- it's like four bands in one, yeah. right? yeah. Now, just to kind of, like, let people know how wild the band is, like, people think of Stevie Nicks. And we're going to talk about Stevie Nicks because I got a little story for you about Stevie Nicks. You ready? The White Witch. I'm ready. So this story is about a million dollars worth of cocaine, Hitler's train, and learning how <laughs> to do coke with your butt. You ready? Wait, this Kids, is the worst you, Mad Libs ever. You want to know why you shouldn't do coke? Here's why. Exhibit A, Exhibit B, and Exhibit C. <laughs> oh, All right, Elizabeth, if I said the word cocaine, then I said Stevie Nicks, you would next say... Of course. <laughs> and the other ones I would say is butt cocaine because yeah, that, she's yeah. really known for this. What I mean she by is. butt cocaine is it refers to the time when Stevie Nicks first joined Fleetwood Mac. She was she was a good girl. She was not someone who's doing a lot of drugs. She gets into the fast life. She's like, hey, I like this cocaine. This stuff's all right. Come sit next to me, cocaine. Now, she loved it so much. She burns a, like a dime-sized hole in her septum, right? So yeah. her nose is like unable for her to do the snorting she wants. But she's like, but I still love the cocaine. So Aww. how do I? get it into my body. She's like, well, I do have this 
personal assistant and they have to do what I asked them to do. So they came up with an ingenious, and I say ingenious loosely, way to get the cocaine into her system. Do you know how? I do know how, but how? I'll let you share no, that. How? how was it? She had the assistant blow it up or tutor. Yes, exactly. She got like a, a straw. Right, that, right there in the poop chute. And then I don't know, this is the part that makes sense to me is, so you load it up in the straw on one end and then like, I guess like hold it in balance and then uh, insert the straw and then blow. Yeah, that makes sense. I was trying to work out the dynamics. Anyway, she anally inserted the It's like the a cocaine. reverse siphoning of uh, gasoline. Yeah, but it just seemed like, <laughs> do you want to get it in the middle of the straw? So when you go in, like, it was just, I don't I know, I think questions. you'd probably load it at the front front end of the straw, mm-hmm. get then that all up blow. in there, just cr- just shove it, cram <laughs> it on in. <laughs> what if you like sneeze or like you have that moment, you're like, <gasps> and you like suck it back in? Well, no, I think you take a deep breath with your thumb over it and then you <laughs> blow into the, but you don't want to put too much air. Yeah, exactly. And then it sprays back out at you. <laughs> I'm now. I'm overthinking the logistics See, this of this. This is what happens. Yeah. Okay. So butt coke. That's you get one like reason. one of those like um, uh, fireplace. Oh, uh, like, like what's that called? The, uh, like for stokers? For yeah, like, yeah. yeah the, what, what are those things called? Bellows? Like the accordion stoker? A bellows. Bellow. There you go. Yeah. Bellow. Thank you, producer Dave. Yeah. Have it just. But then it's like too much pressure, and then it all shoots back out, <laughs> and everyone's using just, a bellow to get cocaine into your body. Covered in a fine dust. <laughs> well. Keeping the fine dust aside for a second, <laughs> yes. the I promised you Hitler's pri- uh, Hitler's train, right? Yeah, oh okay. yeah, you did. So there's another reason why not to do cocaine. When they were traveling in Europe doing a tour, they're like, we need, we're doing so many drugs, we can't risk it, and we need a place to be able to be ourselves. So, but also we're decadent in seventies and full of ourselves. We need something plush, so we can't just have a tour bus. Mm-hmm. Let's get a tour train. So they rented a train carriage. That's and, pretty awesome. Yeah, they're traveling around like the I Netherlands, mean, France, you know, you Germany. You know how I feel about trains. I knew you would like this. Yeah. I was like, you know who's gonna really appreciate this? <laughs> So they uh, they go and they're like, okay, we need something luxurious. And then because it's Germany, the Netherlands, and France, people are like, oh, we've got you know plenty of trains. Mm-hmm. And so they they get one and they hire this train, and it's supposed to take them around the continent, do all the blow they want. Turns out the train had been Hitler's personal carriage, right? Oh god! So it's outfitted with all these decadent gold fixtures, velvet curtains, a lot of red, a lot of red, well appointed uh, divans. You know, it's just really right. Everything is uh, the way Hitler liked it. <laughs> and uh, oh great! <laughs> and included in the rental price of this train carriage came a personal attendant. He was this really old German man. Oh, How no. How old, Elizabeth? The, oh, no. He had once been Hitler's personal assistant. That's exactly, I was like, that's the kind where, where was your dad in the war? No, <laughs> yeah. he, where were you in the war? <laughs> Literally. Oh, so, that's what cocaine can do for you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we're not here to talk about cocaine, though. We're here to talk about battling Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, you ready? yeah. Okay. okay. The original lineup for Fleetwood Mac, I didn't know this, I had to look it up. It's also a point of debate, apparently. People say, no, this is when it was the original lineup. This is the original lineup. But as best as I can determine, the original lineup was Peter Green, Danny Kerwin, Jeremy Spencer, John McVie, and Mick Fleetwood. And they had a manager, Clifford Davis, who was really involved, who was the co-founder of the band. Okay. Okay. So Mick Fleetwood was an original member. Original member. Maybe that song Fleetwood Mac was about him. Oh, I'll explain it. Just let that dangle out there. We're going to run up and catch up to that. (laughs) I'll give you plenty of clues. Okay. Now, 
the things start well for the band. They're in the UK. They're doing this like, you know, blues revival sound. And this is like the late 60s. Now, mm -hmm. by 1970, Peter Green's like, look, guys, I'm out. It's not doing what I thought we were going to do. So a year later, Jeremy Spencer's like, look, I'm out too. I'm going to go do my own blues thing. Cliff Davis is like, okay, well, that's no problem. Hires two new cats. He gets Bob Welch and Christine McVie to join the band. So Christine McVie comes in, starts to really shape the sound. And now this is also kind of a difficult time for the band, though, because Mick Fleetwood's like, you know, who are we? What are we becoming? We're right on the precipice of success. What do we need to do to break through in America? So now in 1973, we have two original members of the band left, John McVie and Mick Fleetwood. Mm -hmm. We've got the new members, Bob Welch. He's on guitar and vocals. We've got Christine McVie on keyboards and vocals and Bob Weston on guitars okay. and vocals because it's a 70s band. Everybody's, everybody's, everybody's on singing. Isn't, <laughs> isn't Mick Fleetwood like nine feet? tall. He's really, really tall. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like nine foot two. I had a painting boss who I used to go over to his house and like while he poured himself a morning cocktail and he would, <laughs> he would watch this um, like, I don't know, it was like a PBS like we, if, if you donate this year we'll give you this special. Yeah. And it was, a, it was like a boomer like made gift basket and uh -huh. so you get like this Fleetwood Mac performance with the USC marching band. Oh, for Tusk. And that's, yeah, for Tusk. And so we had to watch before we, before we could leave the house, he had to hear Tusk. He was like, wait, here, I gotta hear the band. Do and you think that it. that was like one of those PBS things in like the early 90s when Clinton had the whole don't yes, stop? Yes, completely. Yeah. Um, yeah, just as a hangover of that totally, whole vibe. Like, totally. let's cement this as That's like, when he got it. our sound, our moment, and our energy. And he watched it in the morning, Breakfast of Champions. <laughs> <laughs> so, the... Uh, in true Fleetwood Mac style, things are going well, but also a little bit stressy and messy, right? Yeah. So what happens is, you know, something else very Fleetwood Mackey, an extramarital affair breaks out. No, in yes. Fleetwood Mac. Can you believe it? Wah. So Bob Weston has an affair with Mick Fleetwood's wife, Jenny Boyd, and the affair, obviously meant to remain secret, does not remain secret. Of course not. Mick Fleetwood learns about his wife cheating with uh, his new guitar player, and he's like, "Whoa, oh, he's destroyed by the double betrayal, right? He's yeah. like, oh, I want to quit my tour. I want to quit the band. I want to quit the marriage. I just want to quit everything, right? Big emotional guy. Yeah. So manager Cliff Davis is like, oh, Man, this is this is not good. Everybody, I got band members sleeping. He wants to break it up. We're right on the edge of success. So he thinks about it for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. He's like, I got it. I got a solution. And so he goes, I'll just browbeat Mick Fleetwood. He's emotional. <laughs> so I'll, just, I'll threaten him. He's like, so Cliff Davis goes to Mick and he's like, if you blow this tour, you'll never get another chance. And Mick Fleetwood's like, oh man, he's ambitious. He's young. He needs this. So he listens to his manager. He considers his options. And then he calls Bob Weston. He goes, look, you're fired. And then he goes and he calls the, the tour manager. He's like, cancel the tour. So he just oh, wrote, no. he did exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So there's 26 dates left on this schedule, right? Manager Cliff Davis calls the tour manager and says, look, do not cancel the dates. Yeah, right? Don't yeah. not tell, call anybody. We're, we're on the hook for all this. This will kill us, right? Mick Fleetwood's going to go home. He's having a family trouble. So he starts brainstorming more. He's like, look, uh, I don't need Mick Fleetwood. I'm Fleetwood Mac, right? So he decides, I can just hire people. So I have the legal right to do that because I co-founded the band and I own the rights and he had these contracts because it was like bad music business of the 60s. So right, right. Really manipulative contracts already like own the right to their ability to publicly perform music. You know, like, yeah, weird contracts, wow. right? So he goes to the band and goes, look, Mick Fleetwood's going back to the UK and he's just a little mad with you guys, but he'll cool out. So 
why don't you guys keep going? I'll hire a new Mick Fleetwood. And they're like, you can't do that, bro. We're not doing it. He's like, look, do it or you're out of the band. And they're like, well, uh, what band? Like, Are we still a band? He's like, yeah, we got to finish 26 dates. And they're like, oh. So they get together, have a little like chit chat about it. And they're like, nope, we're not doing it. Blow, Cliff. Cliff Davis is like, all right, fine. I, I can, I'll get a whole new band. So he hires a whole new Fleetwood Mac. Oh right? my God. And he says, you guys, re- you got 26 dates. Let's hit the yeah. road. So it be- becomes a cover band. It's a Fleetwood Mac cover band before they're famous. Now, there's a, <laughs> a problem with this because when he hires the new band, he tells them, you're Fleetwood Mac. You guys are just, you know, tour musicians. Mm-hmm. Mick Fleetwood's going to be back on tour. And that is, a, as you know, we in the story industry... We call that a lie. They, <laughs> they, there was no Fleetwood coming back, so no. they were they were hired under the idea that this was a temporary fix. They didn't right. know that they were Fleetwood. They were Mac scabs. Now. They were not told you're now Fleetwood. They were scabs, <laughs> and they were not even well placed scabs. Right. <laughs> so Cliff Davis, so he's focused on the band's momentum. That's the only thing that matters to him. Quality was job number two. He was like, look, as far <laughs> as we keep everything rolling, how hard, it's rock music. How yeah. hard could this be? Yeah. You know, hit it the G string. I don't know. So Cliff Davis, he's like, okay. This is my band, and he would explain it to anybody, and uh, and I'll explain it to you. I quote from Cliff Davis. Uh-huh. I've always been the leader of the band as much. A lot of people over the years have misconstructed the Fleetwood Mac as Fleetwood and McVie. Fleetwood Mac was a song written by Peter Green when he was with John Mayall. So okay. <laughs> that, that's like his whole, like, it can't be them. It's not about Mick Fleetwood. It's about Mimi. And so... <laughs> He then, like, since it's about this Peter Green song, this was also part of the contract aspect because mm-hmm. Christine McVie had a contract with him when she first joined the band. So to get around the new Mick Fleetwood that is created, Mick Fleetwood is left with only one recourse, which is legal. He's like, let's yeah. start filing contracts. You love lawyers. <laughs> so, uh, well, I don't, I don't really know this band, but the... the uh, Maybe some of these names will be familiar to you. Okay. you. You know music better than I do. The new Fleetwood Mac was a, one cat named Elmer Gantry. Elmer Gantry? Elmer, I know it from the movies. I don't know yeah, the person, I, right? No, that's not his real name. His mama named him Dave Todd. Okay. So, Dave Todd. And then there's Kirby Gregory, yes. Paul Martinez, a cat named John Dave or David Wilkinson. And then there was uh, Craig Kalinge. This, no, no, anyway. None of them so, are ringing a bell for me. This band goes out of Fleetwood Mac. Their band is set to do their first shows in January or February 1974, right? Now, first show they're going to do is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Now, Elizabeth, I would like you to close your eyes and picture it. My eyes are closed. You ready? And check. One, two, three. Check. You're backstage. You're working as a concert promoter. The 70s have been good to you. <laughs> Your friend is a newly self-minted music producer, Rich Angler, and he's the one who's called you in to help with this new show. You spot your friend, Rich Angler, moving fast backstage. You want to flag him down and ask about the timetable for the show. You hope to have a few minutes alone with the band so you can ask them about any last-minute changes for the set or a request for their stage package. You want it all to go so well for your friend, Rich. Now, Angler just recently started this new concert promotion business, as you are well aware, and you know that he's nervous about everything. So you let him streak past you. You don't interrupt. You're figuring he's handling something. Oh, yeah. You'll catch him later. But then you see him stop dead in his tracks, and you, he pauses to talk with a man you recognize as Cliff Davis, the manager of the band that's about to go on. Mm-hmm. And you hear Angler ask Cliff Davis, 
Where the hell is Fleetwood Mac? Oh, but no. You just saw the band in their dressing room. In fact, you're sure of it. And you saw Angler speak with them earlier. So he should know they're here. What is he asking? Where's Fleetwood Mac? Then it all makes sense to you when you hear Angler tell the manager, Cliff Davis, I don't know what the hell you think you're pulling, but that's not Fleetwood Mac. In the dressing room, who the hell are those bozos? Now, <laughs> bozos. <laughs> I love calling people bozos. <laughs> Cliff Davis keeps insisting that those bozos are indeed Fleetwood Mac. So Angler knows the band personally. He's he's loved yeah. the guy. He's friends with the band. This is his first show. He hired them knowing it would be a success because Fleetwood Mac would go out there and, hello, Pittsburgh, and knock it at dead, right? Yeah. So he, he needs that, not these bozos. Right. So Rich Angler tells Cliff Davis, he doesn't know, like, what you can get away with in the UK, but this is Pittsburgh, man, and they don't go for that <laughs> Queens English bollocks. Three River City, man. Now, Rich Angler, he tells the manager of this so-called Fleetwood Mac, they ain't going on my stage. And now Cliff Davis is like, yeah, they are. I got a contract. And so yeah. Rich is like, ah, I don't know what to do about that. I'm new in this business. So he loses his cool. He gets emotional. He takes a swing at Cliff Davis. Oh, wow. And he is like, yeah, hauls off, decks him, right? But Cliff Davis is pretty quick. It barely hits him because this is not the first time someone has wanted to punch Cliff Davis. <laughs> I can He's imagine. He's ready for the swing. So he dodges the first punch. He gets caught by the surprise second. And while Rich Angler is standing over going, that's Pittsburgh, son. You're like about <laughs> to try to calm him down. And then you're like, this real fist fight, rock and roll, babies. This is what's happening, Pittsburgh. But security runs over, breaks it up, and Angler throws up his, fan, his hands in disgust and he's like look fine let him on stage I don't give a flying fig it's their reputation you're ruining not mine 10 minutes later pretend Fleetwood Mac takes the stage band starts playing they know the hits they play the songs right you know, yeah. they're the, and they play the new songs off the new album and surprise surprise they actually sound good it sounds like Fleetwood Mac huh. and you catch up to Rich Angler and you're happily surprised to hear him say look at that the band whoever the hell they are not half bad you're like, oh, nice. it went, went well for him like because he was so nervous. But you joke that the audience must be like, I don't know, zonked out of their head on goofball pills. Right? Like, what's the deal? Are they high on the Maui Wowie? Because this is clearly not Fleetwood Mac. But Angler just looks at you like, where do you get these references? Like, have they been injecting doobies? Are, are, they, are they on the tie sticks? <laughs> So Fleetwood Mac, you know, they're like, I guess Pittsburgh doesn't know what Fleetwood Mac looks like and just this sounds like well, it. Yeah. Now, the crowd is cool with the show, but the real heads recognize that this band is not Fleetwood Mac and they go and they demand their money back and Angler doesn't want to have problems. So he gives out the refunds. Everything's cool. On to the next show. Wow. Now, after a short break, I'll tell you how this all goes really badly and turns into a legal nightmare. Oh my God. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure 
it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Elizabeth, I left you in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You did leave me in Pittsburgh. I'm going to pick you up there. Okay. And we're going to travel on to Potsdam, New York. Oh, all right. That's upstate New York. It's a grand tour. Yeah, so in Potsdam, New York, the fake band, they play another show. Yeah. This one's kind of intended, like it's like a Broadway show, like on the road before you hit Broadway. They're supposed to kind of get everything set up. It's like an off-off Broadway, yeah. Because the next tour date is New York City. And they got to be on point for New York City. Yeah. So they play Potsdam. Things go well. And then they get to New York on schedule. Mm -hmm. This is going to be rock journalists are there. Yeah. And they've already heard rumors about the Pittsburgh show. It's filtered out. Rumors. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Now, they know there's some fake band pretending to be Fleetwood Mac. And they're like, we got to see this for ourselves. Sure, yeah. And some of them, they know Cliff Davis. So they call him up. They're like, I need an exclusive interview. I'm going to need the story on this. And he's like, yeah, oi, come on to the hotel, right? And so Cliff Davis tells some rock journalist, right, this is my band. I've always been the leader of the band as such. And so they're like, well, yeah but is this Fleetwood Mac? It is if I say it is, right? right? (laughs) 
So then he adds that he goes back to his his previous lie, which is Mick Fleetwood. He flew uh, home for family troubles, right? And he's like, telling everybody he flew to America in January. Got is got into some problems. Flew back, and he'll be uh, back soon. Just give him some time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Give the mate a little air. Now, the show must go on, right? Right. Now, everyone's like, yeah, okay, man. Cliff Davis, your band. I guess this is the new Fleetwood Mac until Mick gets back, right? <laughs> new York City show goes off. Now, remember that half good momentum coming out of Pittsburgh. It yeah. kept going into Potsdam. But right before the show, half an hour before they're supposed to go on in New York City, Elmer Gantry comes out and goes, I don't have a voice. I've just lost my voice. The concert oh, promoter's like, what are you talking? What do you mean? You have to tell, you would have known this hours ago. Like, yeah. No, it just happened, right? So like, apparently Cat loses his voice, totally gone. So no one knows what to do. They call up like basically the lawyer. And they're like, the lawyer, what do we do? Like, we, I was give back the money to all 3,400 people are here. And he's like, no, no, not giving back any money. Yeah. Um, here's what we're going to do. Just have the band go out and make an announcement. And then that meets our contractual obligations. And they're like, okay, that's what we're going to do. So they go out and they, they have this, by the way, the opening act for this show is Kate. So the crowd is getting Ooh, warmed wait, up by how, Kiss. How big of a venue is this? Uh, see, Academy. Like, it's, a, it's like a. It holds like five thousand people. It's like a yeah, pretty big floor. You know, kind of like Fillmore is what I was imagining. Sure. I didn't actually see. I'm the just inside. wondering if they had like tour insurance that they would have to. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm sure they have the, all of the riders and t- tour yeah. packages and requirements and, and, like, you know, the aspects of, like, you must cancel by this uh-huh, and give this uh-huh. percentage of refunds. So they were so worried. So KISS is opening. KISS is opening, yeah. So they have they have KISS hotting up the crowd, and they've got the lawyer going, and this go is out there and tell them that we're not going to do the 74, real show. 74, 75? Yeah, 74. So we're full makeup KISS. F- full makeup, yeah, like... On the high boots, yes. all leather, white tongues hanging out. paint, tongues hanging. Gene Simmons is making everyone in the first row pregnant. Yes. So, yeah, it's <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. And kiss. That is a crazy lineup. Yeah, right? So... Pretend Fleetwood Mac follows Kiss on stage with whatever's, whatever's left on stage for them to perform. <laughs> and the band tries to carry on with an overly long instrumental set. The, the, the crowd's been warned. Look, the lead singer's sick, guys, so we're going to just do like a jam, if that's cool oh, with you. That's fun. They're like, but if you don't want to hear that, you got 15 minutes to go ask for a refund. So 800 of the 3,400 people go and ask for a refund. They're uh-huh. like, I'm out. I'm New York. I got other better things to do than to hear a 30-minute jam. Right. A lot of people are like, I really want to hear it, man. I've been waiting to hear Fleetwood Mac. So they sit down and listen to the jams or whatever. Now, New York rock journalists are there and the music press for an entirely different experience. Right. They want the scoop, right? Right. So they're like, where the hell is Fleetwood Mac? And who are these bozos calling themselves <laughs> Fleetwood Mac? So they write their stories. Stories get written, published. They filter across the Atlantic. Mick yeah. Fleetwood reads the stories. <gasps> freaks out. Sure. Because remember, once again, precipice of success. Like, they are about to go huge, and they yeah. can lose it on just, I mean, this is a terrible story. So, he starts immediately getting on the phone and going, I had no idea what's going. I didn't know the band was still on tour. I'm over in the UK. How could they be on tour without me? And everyone's like, yeah, I totally get to your pissed. So then Cliff <laughs> Davis is like, what is he saying? What's Cliff Davis do, as I told you, he sues him. So he sues Mick Fleetwood. You got to stop saying that. I own the band. You you can't say what you're saying. So he then tells Mick Fleetwood he cannot perform as, Mick, as Fleetwood Mac. He cannot, you know, record as Fleetwood Mac. He owns it. And, Fleet, and Mick Fleetwood's like, no, no, no. Like that, That's not how this goes. We have a whole different agreement. So they start going and countersuing each other. Losses oh, are filed. Oh. It becomes a whole nightmare. Rolling Stone covers all of this. So going to the contemporaneous coverage from Rolling Stone, quote, 
When is a Fleetwood Mac not a Fleetwood Mac? Although there is a band called Fleetwood Mac currently in the midst of a two and a half month US tour, that question is puzzling some promoters, some fans, and Warner Brothers. <laughs> so to answer this question of what makes a Fleetwood Mac a Fleetwood Mac, The Rock magazine spoke with the manager Cliff Davis, and everyone wants to get to the bottom of this mystery. And Cliff Davis says, and I quote, I want to get this out of the public's mind as far as the band being Mick Fleetwood's band. The band is my band. The band has always been my band. The um, manager. Band manager. <laughs> this is some, like, Menudo-level stuff. Just rotate them in. Throw totally. Them. As long as they're six, under 16. <laughs> so this wasn't enough because he wanted to really squash any Mick Fleetwood's power. So Cliff Davis adds... I just decided it was time to change the band, certainly on stage, and that's what I did. I've always been sort of the leader. I've always sort of picked who was going to be in it and who wasn't. I decided to keep Mick. Oh, my God. <laughs> How decent of him, That's, right? Yeah. So but this was obviously the full story. So You're right. <laughs> going back to the pages of Rolling Stone, and I quote, Bob Welch, the American guitarist who joined Fleetwood two and a half years ago when original member Jeremy Spencer found God in Los Angeles, denied <laughs> the whole Davis story at press time, was en route to England to meet with Fleetwood, the McVees, Weston, and lawyers to straighten the whole matter out. So now we're going to get into more of the countersuing. Yeah, yeah. As far as Mick Fleetwood's take on this whole debacle is, he always kept it short in the press as much as possible. Mick would tell the press of the day, and I quote, Last thing we needed, it was also the most preposterous thing we'd ever heard and the greatest betrayal from one of my own that we could have imagined. He keeps going with the emotional, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. So the, then we have the band's label, Warner Brothers. Yeah. What's their take on the two Fleetwood Macs? Which one do they have yeah, the contract with? Yeah. Right? They've got business interests to consider, right? Now... And I quote from Rolling Stone, at Warner Brothers in Burbank, Don Schmitzley, executive director, label management, has been on the case. I'm in the midst of trying to find out who has exclusivity on the name, he said. Until then, the record company can do nothing. Yeah. So they legally cannot, until they're determined who is Fleetwood Mac. Right. So it goes on like this, and uh, lawsuits are going back and forth. We're in mid-74, right? So a court steps in from the UK side. The UK high court rules that the band should be granted an injunction that prevents manager Cliff Davis from putting his fake Fleetwood Mac out. They're like, clearly you're the musicians. Yeah, like, yeah. So how is this an issue? But in the exciting world of contract law, that was not <laughs> enough. So Fleetwood finds that Cliff Davis's contract still does preclude him from being able to legally record and put out albums and sell them. So there's injunctions going back and forth. Yeah. So Cliff Davis controls performance rights for Christine McVie, so they can't perform when she's in it. Then he has re uh, recording rights on Mick Fleetwood. So everything's all blocked up. Yeah. So Mick Fleetwood goes to Los Angeles and he's like, maybe we can record a new album. They do. They call it Heroes Are Hard to Find. And then, <laughs> that's then, the name of the that's group? The, that's the name of the album. album. They put it out as, as Fleetwood, as Fleetwood Mac. Mac. Yeah. Okay. But Cliff Davis, being an English bulldog, he's from the UK. He's like, you can't just put it out in America because they don't sell it in yeah. the UK. They just sell it. And he's like, look, you have a UK law? Well, come for us in America. Yeah. Come to the US courts. They this need essentially mediation. is the challenge, right? Yeah. So he then files a fresh lawsuit and cites his contract with Christine McVie. So Cliff Davis just stays filing paper, right? Now, the battling Fleetwood Max, they continue to circle and swipe at each other in court. And this goes on and on. But apparently, some of this vitriol may not have been real at all because... 
I found a 2017 BBC radio interview where the aforementioned Elmer Gantry spoke out on the matter. Uh-oh. <laughs> Elmer's got the scoop. Elmer. So Elmer said Cliff Davis, he approached them. He said, hey, I want you guys to form a new band that would be called Fleetwood Mac. He said, new band, Fleetwood Mac. So that was clear. Uh-huh. And, but at first they were down because they thought Mick Fleetwood was going to be in the well, new you Fleetwood would Mac. Think. So they were yeah. confused about new Fleetwood Mac, but still Mick Fleetwood. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Now, that's also, though, what Mick told them. He told the replacements, I'm coming back to be in the band with you. Okay. So that contradicts everything because he's supposed to be all angry about this. Yeah. Gantry said in an interview, Mick Fleetwood came to our house and we talked through the new band and it all seemed fine. Mick said, well, I can't actually come and rehearse with you. It was like fairly imminent going to uh, the America to tour. But if you got a temporary drummer, I'll go and join you for the tour. So he's like basically saying that Mick told him the same plan Cliff... Davis did. So yeah. apparently either Mick was a, you know, he's in on the dupe the whole time or Elmer Gantry's memory is a little like, you know, smoked or, out. Or all of the above. Or none of these are reliable narrators. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody remembers the truth, right? All of the above. But apparently Elmer Gantry did say he and fake Fleetwood Mac went over potential <laughs> set lists with Mick Fleetwood and he gave his approval to the set list. Oh, so you're he kidding. was very well aware. So this wasn't a surprise at all. From uh, what he yeah. says. Now, whatever, lies, chaos, that's the Fleetwood Mac way. Yeah. We all know this. Yeah. <laughs> now let's get back to their album, Heroes Are Hard to Find, right? Uh-huh. Now to support this album, they go out on tour in America and they're like, what are you going to do about it, bro? Come after us, right? And yeah. he's like, of course. But they have more problems. Another member's like this dude, Bob Welch, is like, uh, you know, I want to leave the band. This is all just getting into <laughs> so much of a problem. I can't do anymore. I have nothing left to give. That's a literal quote. I, I have, have nothing, nothing left, left to give. Oh, God. <laughs> so the next year, 1975, Mick Fleetwood, he's in Los Angeles thinking about like doing another album because he hasn't had like, you know, he's able to been able to record the album and release it in America. Cliff Davis can't totally block him. Mm-hmm. So he's messing around in the studio trying to decide what to do. And a sound engineer is like, hey, man, you guys need to record here because we got this new board and here, you got to hear this new, uh, this demo album I just recorded. So he puts on the demo album to show off the capabilities of the studio. Yeah. And Mick Fleetwood hears his future just appear in the air. He's like, oh, what is this? The de- this debut turns out to be an LP featured two young American talents, Stevie Nicks yeah. and Lindsey Buckingham. Wow. So... The next year, they reform as the new Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> and that's the one that I know about. I didn't know 3.0. any of this stuff before. Yeah. Right? So they record albums. They break through. Everybody, you know, boom, tusk the whole bit. Yeah. So, landslide. Rumors. Shaka. Yeah. <laughs> now, as the rest say, is music history. Yeah. And, of course, cocaine. And affairs. And, lots and lots of affairs. And lots of, like, witchy woman spinning in shawls. Yes, lots of shawls and candles. Yes. Incense and peppermint. Love it. So, the, uh, Elizabeth. Zarin. What is our ridiculous takeaway here? <laughs> our ridiculous takeaway is the music industry is a mess. Yes, and they love lawyers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everyone would benefit from mediation. Oh, like, oh, contract it arbitration. Me- yeah. It should have gone to a mediator. I just love the fight over the name Fleetwood Mac. And I've actually thought a I lot about Fleetwood Mac being Mick Fleetwood and Christine you, McVie. Like, I, if you, if you said, Zarin, we're going to cut off a finger. <laughs> if, you can, if you can't tell us how Fleetwood Mac got their name. Was, like, I love when we do these kind of like, oh, you know. But, like, imagine being in a situation, like, literally, where someone's like, I'm going to cut off your finger. <laughs> if you can't if tell you me. you can't tell me. Fleetwood you're like, Mac how did I name? get to this place in my life that this is happening? I am the I'm most. I'm like, on, like, a dot. 
dock on a lake somewhere, <laughs> and I don't know these people. Anyway, um, did you ever get? Did you ever find the song Fleetwood Mac that Dude said he wrote? No, I I didn't even look for it. What's it about? I, I assume Fleetwood Mac. Is it about Mick Fleetwood? No. Being a Mac? Being the Mac, yes. It's Fleetwood the Mac. It's, I, this whole it's a thing, jazz it doesn't, song. It doesn't compute. I'm I, didn't, like, I didn't believe it. The gears like, in yes, my brain are exactly. stuck because I'm like, this makes no sense. I treated this story like skiing, right? Like the first time I went skiing, I mean, yes, yeah, so obviously <laughs> I treated the cocaine it like skiing and, and that like I don't do it. What I mean is that like I, I, I found myself on top of a mountain. Uh-huh. I had never skied before. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I didn't take a lesson. I had no idea what was going on. I just wanted to get through it. So I said, okay. I shoved myself off. I started going. And got faster, got crazier, and I just held on. And suddenly, I was at the bottom, and I was like, "I made it through that. I don't know how." So I didn't pause to ask, "What is this Fleetwood Mac song?" I was just like a tree going past. I was like, "Oh, I didn't hit that. Nice, keep going." So that's what I got for you is a sensation. Yeah. I can tell you that's the good. sensation of Fleetwood Mac. I like Mac. the sensation. That makes sense. Yeah. So there I you go. Still, I'm just. I'm... Hey, there's Google. Look it up. Yeah, I guess that's on me, isn't it? <laughs> that's my ridiculous takeaway. You use Google. Little thing called Google. <laughs> well, you can find us online. Yeah, ridiculous crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Use Google. And uh, Twitter is for the discourse. Instagram is for the photos. We put stories up. They're good for the jokes. And you get sneak peeks of new apps on both. Email us if you want. Uh, you can also tweet at us. But if you email us, uh, pick ridiculous crime at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Stevie Nicks' personal assistant, Dave Couston. Research is by Lindsay Buckingham Truther, Marissa Brown. Our theme song is by Thomas Mac Fleetwood Lee and Travis Fleet Mac Wood Dutton. Executive producers are Ben Wilbury Bolin and Noel Wilbury Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.